Have you lived a life dictated by what other people want? Do you wonder sometimes what it would take to live your best life? Do you want to live a more authentic life? I once asked all these same questions. This week, we interview Sarah Lee of High Fiving Dollars about how she went from pleasing everyone else to living a truly authentic life. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. Hey, let's see if this card goes through for that $8,000 drink. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody wants to be a part of the in crowd. Everybody wants to to look good. My my decision was, I'm not a victim. I'm not going to stay and work someplace where this is a problem. Normally, we don't drink on queer money, but because we're talking about a subject that David is rather vanilla on... Grab a glass of wine, because you're listening to Queer Money with the Debt Free Guys. This is the only show helping our community do more and be more by talking about money from the queer perspective. Welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. We are excited to have our FinCon friend, Sarah Lee Kane, with us today. She is the um, the blogger at High Fiving Dollars. Um, she reached out, Sarah Lee reached out to the FinCon group, actually on Facebook a couple of, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago now. Um, Sarah has set a lofty goal of getting herself on a hundred podcasts in 2017, which for anybody who's done podcasting, being, been on podcasts, whatever, it's not an easy goal. So I'm very, I'm very impressed and we're, um, excited to see her journey throughout the next year. Uh, but we, uh, have offered a space for Sarah to come on our show and we're going to talk about the uh, the challenges and the struggles with growing up in an Asian household when it comes to money and how Sarah kind of threw a lot of that to the side and said, I'm going to do my own thing. And I think this will be an interesting topic for our audience because uh, you know our, we, our message is fundamentally trying to get the queer community to live an authentic life and that is necessary. Um, one of the necessary components of that is that you have to have your finances in order. And Sarah's got a great message um, as it relates to her community that I think will also tie to our community. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We're glad to have you. Um, Would you mind giving our audience a a better description of who you are and what you're all about than what I did? (laughs) Sure. So I call myself the money storyteller. So whenever anybody asks me what that means, I basically tell them, well, you know, I want to help you better your money mindset so you can be the hero of your own money journey. So I do that through different things like practical strategies, different tools and tips. And I answer a lot of reader questions on my blog that relate to all of the above. Awesome. That's great. How, do you mind sharing how you got started in this space? Sure. It was very much by accident. I was actually a freelance writer for a few years and I was doing textbook writing, believe it or not. And very, wow. very randomly, I was on a guest post on the Careful Sense blog. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of mm-hmm. Carrie Smith. Absolutely. So I, yep. She's also yeah. from Colorado. Yep. She just moved well, here good. recently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, so long story short, I was on her, I, I guest blogged for her. And then I got an influx of personal finance writing clients as a result of that guest blog. And so I thought, okay, well, you know, I can write about money, I guess. <laughs> and so that's what I did. And, you know, I felt compelled to start a blog. My gut just said, you know what, let's start a blog and share your story and, and what you have, you know, as it relates to money and, and all that. And it just grew from there. Very cool. So is, is your blogging or this, the, 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 the symbiotic businesses that you've created with your blogging, is that your primary stream of income? Yes, it is. 
Oh, that is awesome. awesome. I think we, we talk a lot about the, about taking advantage of the new gig economy and to leverage the resources that are out there, such as, uh, you know, websites and social media and, you know, other things that, that, that we're not even including in our business. But there is so much opportunity out there for those people who want to take advantage of it. I think what you just described there briefly um, really is a great, succinct example of, of how you can leverage that. Yeah. And it's, you know, and for me, it was a very accidental thing as well. I just started freelance writing because, so I'm originally from Canada and my husband's from the U.S. And so when I first moved to the U.S., I really wasn't able to work. I was waiting for my social security number and all that stuff. And so, you know, I was kind of sitting around in the living room. I thought, what can I do? So I started just Googling stuff and I happened upon guest blogging and you get paid for it. And so that's really how I started. Wow, wow, that's nice. And so the first introduction that David and I had of Sarah was at FinCon 16, which was last September in San Diego. Um, she got up on a stage in front of probably about 900 or 1,000 people and was interviewed by none other than Jean Chatsky on her podcast live. Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> we were, um, David and I were very impressed and uh, at the courage and to know, know where you came from and how you got started. It's, that's a very inspiring story. And I think it's a great example for anybody who's listening to this, who thinks that they might want to try something different than what they're currently doing. They might want to try something on their own that, that if you, are smart and strategic and you try and, and hustle that you can go from being a textbook writer to being on stage with Jean Chatsky. Right. Yes. <laughs> I would also have to say that I think that your story is great because it's, it, it would seem that it would be very, it would have been very easy for you to just sit back and say, well, I'll wait until, and instead of waiting until you made the opportunity happen and what has happened because you made that opportunity happen, got a ball rolling that has now turned into a, a full-time income for you. So that's amazing that, uh, that just shows the, the need to take that first step of going in the direction you want to go in. Yeah. And, and I would also add just to be open to any opportunities. I think that's really the biggest lesson I've, I've learned just throughout my life is be open to things and don't, um, you know, don't turn anything, not to turn, not turn anything down, but just be, you know, be able to listen, right? And it could be come in the form of people giving advice or opportunities that come, you know, little things like that. But, you know, just going back to the Gene Chatsky interview, that was a very, again, very random encounter I had in an email that led to the interview. And, you know, my, my first gut reaction was, no, this is a, a fluke, but... <laughs> I really listened. I said, okay, let me be open to the phone call and the pre-interview screen and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, it just, it led to something pretty good. <laughs> well, that's pretty awesome. So I think it's great because we talk a lot about limiting beliefs in our writing and on our podcast. And it sounds like your initial response was probably based on a limiting belief, but you gave yourself the opportunity to overcome that. Would you agree? Yes. 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 Um, you know, and I think, you know, growing, I mean, and we can talk a little bit more about this. It's just growing up, you know, I, you know, you have people telling you different things. And so you start to believe the things that people tell you or, you know, the things that people are doing around you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that in itself is a limiting belief, whether or not you realize it. And so for me, the limiting belief around the initial reaction of, no, I don't want to do this was, 
am I really qualified to talk about money with a financial expert in front of almost a thousand people? That was <laughs> really what it came down to. And at the end of the day, you know, I said, no, I have a story and it's important, you know, just like everybody else's story. And so why can't I share it? You know, if, if people hate it, at least I went up there and, and said what I needed to say. Right. Right. <laughs> well, and that's ballsy because, you know, I think it, that's what it comes down to. It's, we all have our own story. And if we hold on to our limiting beliefs, we're essentially saying that our story isn't worth sharing. Mm. Or, and then if we're saying that, we're basically saying our story was never worth it. So we have, to, we have to own our story and as best we can share it so that it helps other people. And there will always be someone who will connect with your individual story. Exactly. So I think this is a good segue into um, what we had planned on talking about today in um, living, living an authentic life. Can you share with us uh, what your definition of living an authentic life means, please? Sure. So my definition is really, I, I like to do a gut check. So, you know, that's really what I start with is, is really digging deep and asking yourself and being honest and doing the gut check and saying, what is really going to make me happy? And I'm not talking about specific things. I'm really talking about defining a value or a vision that you have for your life. So for me, you know, when I was young, I've always wanted to travel internationally long term. You know, ever since I was a kid, that was always something I, I wanted for myself. And I made it happen. Right. I mean, it, it didn't come with its, you know, it did come with its fair share of, you know, tears and stuff. But, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I've always questioned it. Like, is this something going to make me happy? Is it, am I willing to go and try it? Or am I willing to go and do this? Right. Will I regret it if I don't? And that's really what it is, is, you know, who cares what anybody else, right? As long as you're not hurting anybody and you're doing something that, that you really feel is going to benefit your life and enrich it in every facet possible, not just your financial life, but every facet possible, then, then you're really living true to, to what you have or want. Gotcha. I think that's great. It actually ties a lot into, so um, our audience knows this, but but maybe you don't. Uh, we had, Dave and I, after being together for a year and a half, we realized that we had $51,000 worth of credit card debt between the two of us. And the irony was, is that at the time, and well, still, we are financial services professionals. Our entire career since college has, has been in financial services, working for brokerage firms. And so here we were telling people how to manage their money, but we weren't um, implementing our own rules, <laughs> so right. to speak. And one of the first things that we did, and we think the most critical dis uh, discussion that we had what, after we realized that we had this debt combined was to figure out what we most wanted in life. And that, that discussion for us, because we, were, we weren't necessarily open to that topic, um, took about a month, two months to, to finally narrow down to just the three things we most wanted. And one of them is, is to travel as much as possible. It sounds like we have a lot in common. Um, the other is to help our community based on our story. And then the third is to, to save so we have a secure and comfortable retirement. And it was getting authentic with who we are that allowed us to, to say, okay, these are our goals. This is what we, want, what we want to achieve in life. And that gave us the motivation, the inspiration to pay off our debt and then to stay out of debt since then. That's great. And I think, you know, I, I think it floats, there's like understanding your why that kind of floats around a lot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but it, that's, it's, you know, really simple, but very effective advice is just understanding why you want to do something 
And when you're honest, and I mean, I want to emphasize the word honest, when you're honest with yourself about what you want, it becomes very clear the path that you need to take. You know, it may not be very specific, like it may not be a very specific path, but at least you're, you know, you know the direction you need to go, right? So for me, very recently, I had quit my job because I wanted to set my own schedule, number one. And number two, I realized that after I gave birth to my son, you know, I really wanted to be home with him. You know, that, that to be honest, really surprised <laughs> me. But, you know, when I discovered that, I was like, okay, well, maybe I can take my side hustle now into something full time. So I gave myself about a year and a half to do that. And so I knew the direction I wanted to go. And, you know, I just kept remembering what was my why. And, you know, I did it. I, I saved up a very sizable emergency fund. You know, my husband and I really talked about what both our roles were as far as income producing activities were. And, and you know, just really kind of figure out how we were going to spend and save our money and wow. how it would align to my my vision or my my desire to stay home with my son. Right. That's great. A lot of it sounds like there are a lot of similarities that you and your spouse had that David and I had. Yeah, I, I would ag agree with a lot of what you said. The other thing I, I really love is that you focus on this this deep why. You know, it, a lot of people say, "Well, I want to have this house, or I want to have this car, or I want to wear these clothes." Well, why? What's the what's the reason behind that? It makes me feel good. Well, why does it make you feel good? And you get the more you ask the why, the deeper you get, and the closer you get to your true core values. And it's when you're satisfying those core values that you actually understand which of those things that you want or you think that you want are the ones that are actually going to satiate or uh, to supply the quench of the thirst for your true core values to get down, down to that deepest why. Yeah, no, it, exactly. And I... And, you know, I just want to kind of talk about that because um, somebody asked me the other day about what if you really don't know what you want? And I'm going to call BS on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to you. You do know. You do know. And it's more the fear of what happens when you define them. Right. Because right. we I think all of us as human beings, we crave this connection. OK, with with other people, with a sense of community, whatever. And I think we're deep down very afraid that if we define our values and they're very different from let's say everybody else is around them, what's going to happen next? And I think for me, when I, you know, started traveling and doing all that stuff, it was a little, it was a little bit scary at first, simply because everybody else around me didn't really believe the same things. And so my choice then became, do I follow the crowd, you know, or do I really stick to my values and go somewhere else and search for opportunities elsewhere? Yeah, I think, I think there are two struggles that people have with trying to figure out their most authentic whys. One, I think we're almost ingrained from a very early age with what our beliefs should be and what we should strive for and what we should want. And I think the, there's the other that's probably a more of an American thing than global. But we have so many reasons to just go through life unconsciously. I mean, mm. go to work, come home, watch TV, go to the movies, watch the football game. There's so many reasons to not focus on what it, what is it that I really want. And even if I know what I want, 
like you said, how what what is that going to do to the people around me, especially like my mom and dad? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how upset are they going to be when I say I'm not going to do what they raised me to do, or I'm not going to vote the way they told me to vote? You know, it's kind of going your own way. Can can um, well, it's like that Fleetwood Mac song, <laughs> <laughs> which is you know great segue into how I grew up actually. Um, so you know, growing in an Asian household, and mine wasn't as traditional as some other ones. Um, you know, as compared to my friends, you were really raised to, you know, um, have a stable job, you know, get married, uh, give birth, you know, own a home, make lots and lots of money so you can pay your parents and all this kind of stuff. So that's really the gist <laughs> of that. I wanna, and, before we get too far, I want to, um, I'll let you continue, but I want to get back to mm-hmm. the, the pay your parents part, because I think that's pre- that sounds like it's very culturally <laughs> unique. <laughs> but I'll let yes, you that is so, very culturally unique. We'll, we'll circle back on that one. <laughs> Yeah, so the so the idea is that um, since they took care of you when you were growing up, that you you help take care of them when they're older. Gotcha. So the idea of um, not really in Canada, but probably in China, if I were to grow up there, is um, there's really not many senior citizen homes or retirement communities per se. You you just the parents just really stay with um, the children when they're older, you know, and so that's really sort of where that comes from. Um, it gotcha. it kind of has blown out of proportion to be honest where where parents demand like let's say half your salary or whatever but (laughs) anyway (laughs) yeah yeah so it it can get pretty pretty crazy but my parents you know didn't really expect that of me um my my uncles would kind of pressure my parents um to say hey sarah should really give you some of her paycheck (laughs) but wow yes yeah so so growing up you know just a few instances here uh stories here and there is you know i was um, made to study certain languages. I had to go to certain high schools. Um, you know, I was demanded, not even asked to apply for certain colleges because it would quote unquote help my career, you know, um, better my situation and things like that. And so that's really what I grew up with. And in a really nutshell, to put it politely, I just said, Screw you all! I'm gonna do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> Cartman from yeah. uh, Screw you guys! I'm, I'm going, going home. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's really funny. It's sort of ironic now I'm in the personal finance world, but every single one of my relatives is in the finance industry, either as an accountant or you know as a corporate trainer in a bank. And I pretty much out of spite went the opposite way. I got an arts degree. I became an English and art teacher, <laughs> you know, all that stuff. I mean, I, I really did. I mean, gosh, you name it. Everything was pretty much the opposite of what they wanted me to do. Um, but you know, that again, going down the values, right. I knew that when I put, when I went towards my career choice and doing all the things I did, I knew that it was going to be met with a lot of heartache and tears. I mean, I remember, the very first time I decided to travel on my own. This is, I mean, unheard of. <laughs> as an as an Asian female going out alone traveling, it was it was big drama. <laughs> it really was big drama that that I did that. So um, what what how did you um to other maybe Asian girls who are listening to the show, um, or anybody who's in a similar situation, how did you get the courage? Um, how did you prepare? You know, how did you how did you make that happen when you had to broach your parents with the to- that topic? So what I did, and just going back to the trip, is I actually bought the ticket already. So mm-hmm. I pretty much went 
I don't know how I got the courage to do this, but I, I pretty much went to my parents and I didn't really ask them permission to go on the trip. I just said, oh, hey, I bought a plane ticket. And I'm, <laughs> I'm really, you know, like you'd be excited for me to travel on this trip. And so that's really what happened with that. Um, you know, I do know a lot of friends in the Asian community, unfortunately, that that would be just terrified of doing that because they're so dependent on their parents for, you know, expenses, right? So mm -hmm. as a teenager, of course, you're relying on your parents for shelter and food and all that. I mean, I completely get it. This was stuff I did in college. So if for some reason, sort of in the back of my mind, I knew that if worst case scenario, I had to move out of the house, I actually had um, two jobs as I was paying you know, my way through college. So I knew that I had an income coming in. For, for my friends and people I knew that were really terrified of, of telling their parents things that they wanted that weren't you know, in line with what they wanted for their kids, um, they didn't do that because their parents paid for their tuition and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I guess my advice is to really have your own income stream, no matter how little it is, so that if, you know, the occasion arises where you, you know, unfortunately have to leave the house or something happens, you, you at least can say, well, I'm making this amount of money, I can make it work. Gotcha. So you were in college at the time and you had two jobs, so you had um, two different income sources. Well, how old were you when you talked with your parents about this? My trip, my goodness. I believe I was 20. 20, yeah, I was okay. 20. All right. The reason I'm asking all these questions because I, I don't know how many little Asian girls are listening to our show, but I do know that there are a lot of queer, a lot of queer people who listen to our show. And I think um, based on some of our research that some of those people are in their 20s, and I can only assume that some of them are trying to figure out how they're going to come out of the closet to their parents. So I think this is, it's a very mm -hmm. correlative story that you, that you share, even though it, the cultures and the topic are slightly different. It's... Um, I think it's very relatable. Yeah. It, it's interesting because we have a blog post which is specifically geared at gay teens, queer teens, and mm -hmm. we encourage them to make certain financial decisions uh, in their teen years so that they can be prepared. We talk a little bit about my story. I grew up in a very religious household and I was very scared to tell my parents that I was gay. And I waited until I was in my mid-20s because I knew that I would lose my family and I wasn't financially prepared. And one of the things we talk about in the article was, had I been financially prepared, I know that I would have come out earlier because I would have been okay with leaving I would have been able to be on my own, but at the time I was not able to be on my own. I didn't was not raised in a in a household where I was encouraged to be financially stable and uh, to go out and and get a full time job. And so I I understand where you're coming from that fear and also the strength and the freedom that comes from having that ability to control your destiny with when when you control your finances. Yeah, I mean, it, it's scary. And don't get me wrong. I, I, you know, when I say screw everybody, I mean, yes, eventually I did say that. It's <laughs> easier said point. than done. <laughs> yes, it, it's definitely easier than done, right? For for a while, it was it was scary for me. And I remember when I went to buy that ticket initially to go travel, it was a terrifying moment. I remember buying it. I left the travel agent and I cried. Like I almost ripped up, <laughs> you know, the ticket. And, you know, back then it wasn't e-tickets, right? It was like, if you ripped up that paper, you, your ticket was gone. <laughs> Right. Um, I, think, so, I think yeah, a, a I, lesson here uh, is that if, you do, if, if, if you're going to make independent decisions, you have to be prepared to be independent. Mm. 
To yeah. me, that's probably what I've got, gotten out of this segment of the conversation is if you're going to go against your culture or your family, that's more power to you. You must live an authentic life so you can be happy, truly happy. But you have to be prepared that you might have to be independent. You might have to go solo. Yeah, and just going with the idea of, of being authentic as well and, and going solo is that, you know, you have to accept responsibility for your life. The idea of the passive life, like, you know, people I know do that, whatever, no judgment. But for me, I knew that that wasn't the path for me. So I really had to accept responsibility for for all of my decisions, right? And there's consequences with every single decision that you make. And I had to be prepared to understand and accept those consequences, good or bad, you know? And so people are scared mostly that, you know, in my experience I found are, aren't necessarily that they're not willing to come, you know, to terms with their values or say them out loud is that they're really scared of accepting the responsibility of it and wondering what happens next after they do accept the responsibility of, let's say, you know, I do come out and I have to leave home or, you know, for me, I was, I ran a very big risk of never talking to my family again as well. I had to accept that responsibility, sorry, the consequences of that as well. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So most people are, are afraid of, most people make their decisions based on fear and it's fear of the unknown. Is it, is it, I forget who the speaker is that, that talked about it, but the, the, I think it's, um, geez, I can't think of his name all of a sudden, but, um, just the, the fear of being able to to take on something that you're not certain of can inhibit all of your decisions in life. Right. And if you're holding back, then, you, then again, like you said earlier, you can't live an authentic life because you're living a life based on fear, not on opportunity or not even on based on who you are. Right. Yeah. And I think it was in our podcast just a couple of weeks ago with Brian that we talked about this idea of uncertainty creates fear, fear creates inaction. And so when when you have fear you aren't going to do the things that you really want to do so if you have these dreams and desires of wanting to have this amazing life whether that amazing life is freedom in being able to do and be who you want to be or you have very specific actions that you want to take if you have fear the likelihood of those happening is is very low mhm and, you know, I, I will, I'll talk a little bit about my story about moving to Australia now since, you know, we're talking about fear. So after I traveled by myself to Australia for three weeks, I decided I wanted to live there after I graduated. And so when I, when I moved there, I had the promise of a job. I didn't actually have one. It was the promise of a job. And when I landed in Australia within a week, the promise of the job was pretty much gone. So I, I had no job. <laughs> I was in Australia by myself at the, you know, at the time before my ex-boyfriend moved with me. And I remember sitting at a park bench and I was like, what, why did I do that? You know, I, there's a possibility that I wouldn't have the job and this is a reality. And I remember saying to myself, well, no, I took a chance. And, you know, who's to say that even if I did get the job that I wouldn't get fired, you know, or laid off or whatever months down the line anyways. And so I realized, okay, at least I took the step towards something that I wanted, you know, and, and luckily enough, you know, I did get hired at another school and I just remember, you know, having that faith that things are going to turn out all right. I mean, it sounds totally cheesy, <laughs> but everything in my life has been one sort of almost miraculous event after another, even though I was completely terrified of doing it. Like I was completely terrified of going to Australia. I was completely terrified of moving back to, 
you know, Canada. Um, I was completely terrified of moving to South Korea a few months later. I was completely terrified of going to China um, and moving back to the U.S. back in June. That was, you know, a pretty big leap of faith for me as well. Um, and so, you know, I guess what the fear is that, you know, yes, th- you're going to have things that are scary, but you have to just have faith that what you're doing is going to lead you on the right path. It's, again, much easier said than done, but you're really, it's really just practicing, you know what, I'm doing a decision, making decision that I think is best for me, and I'm just going to see how it unravels. Absolutely. So I think what you're saying there to me, what I'm hearing is a quote that Tony Robbins often says, Tony Robbins often says, and that the universe is working for you, not against you. And mm-hmm. so even though you went to Australia and you lost your job, that could have been, you know, a cataclysmic experience for you that would have made you turn home, return home. But you clearly saw it more, more even though it was hard, maybe, saw it more of an opportunity than as uh, a failure. Because you mm-hmm. opened yourself up to that possibility. And if the universe is working for you, then that was supposed to happen. Yeah. And if, if you're really, truly scared of a move, then make sure you have a big emergency fund. <laughs> I mean, that's really, that's really all, you know, the advice I can give is just have a really big emergency fund. I mean, I, at that point in Australia, I didn't, but now I, I now I do. I have, um, you know, about two and a half years worth of expenses. If my blog goes to crap, <laughs> I <laughs> I can say, well, you know what, I, I have two and a half years to, to work consistently towards this goal. And, you know, then I probably will have to look for a job. But, you know, so I think that having the money there is really going to help you with the fear, because I think a lot of us are automatically thinking of the worst case scenarios when it comes to our money or even just decisions that we make in mm-hmm. regards to money or, or life situations. So can you talk a little bit about um, your experience with how not living authentically or maybe living authentically is expressed in your finances? Sure. And yeah, I'll go back to the um, story about Australia. You, you guys have heard this story. But so what had happened when I was in Australia I was with um, an ex-boyfriend. And I wasn't living in an authentic life because, number one, I really value independence and, you know, reciprocating that in a relationship. And I crave you know at the end of the day I was really craving like this romantic relations ideal fantasy of a romantic relationship okay and that really wasn't what I wanted I wanted something like a a deep connection with somebody and you know authentic kind of relationship where we both were working towards something okay and this person I was with that was not the case at all they had completely different goals and values but because a, this person moved for me. I felt this obligation to be with them. And number two, I was chasing this fantasy of a romantic relationship or romance. And so what ended up happening was to keep him happy and, and everything, I just paid for everything. I mean, I paid for rent. I paid for groceries. We went on um, trips all around Australia and New Zealand. I paid for all of that. You know, and he would kind of make excuses like, oh, I can't really pay for this or, you know, my job doesn't pay enough. And I go, OK, OK. And I just really would literally pay for everything. Um, long story short, I got into debt <laughs> as a result of that. And the relationship was over anyway. So, uh, yeah. So that that really was a, a definitely an example of me not living my authentic life because I wasn't, you know, I didn't have the courage or the balls or whatever to say this is not what I want in a relationship. I'm just going to end it. Instead of ending it, I just spent money to try to mask it. You know, right? <laughs> it's manifesting itself in indiscriminate spending. Right. So how how did you change that? How did you ask yourself 
what would it take for me to start living an authentic life? So the, the funny story, so I ended up, you know, in my bedroom where I was um, in high school, my parents' place, because I was, you know, unemployed, jobless, broke, whatever. And I just started reading a Dalai Lama book. It's called The Art of Happiness. And I remember mm-hmm. just reading, I read this book like three times. It was just this crazy eye-opening experience. And I remember reading, you know, this passage about the idea of fantasy, like you should be chasing this fantasy and just, you know, getting really clear on the things that would make you happy. And that really struck a chord with me. So, so I said, okay, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to outline all the reasons why this past relationship didn't work and what is it that I really want to go, you know, do uh, moving forward, you know, cause I lost sort of that little fire where I said, screw you, everyone do what I want <laughs> and just throughout <laughs> this relationship. And so I really just asked myself why I asked myself a lot of why's like, um, you know, I said, I still want to travel. Why is it that I want to travel? And, you know, I just write down the answer and I would write, just as importantly, what I didn't want, because that can really help you. You know, if you're in situations or with conversations that, you know, trigger you or make you angry, upset, that means it's going against a core value of yours. And so those are just as important to assess and and think about. And so then I really thought about the relationship and what values were, you know, were triggered by that. And then I realized, you know, I was making friends based on um, shopping. So I had a lot of friends that would just go shopping as a hobby. And so by default, I would then, you know, buy stuff that wasn't necessary either. And so I realized, okay, well, that's not really what I want. I want genuine relationships and through conversation and spending time with people. And so then I decided, okay, I'm going to stop hanging out with people that don't reflect those values. And so I did lose a lot of friends as a result of that, but I'm a much happier person for it. Um, I think it's interesting. Do you mind sharing how you dealt with losing friends? Sure. So with, you know, I didn't just completely cut them off. I mean, that's certainly, you know, I'm not going to say screw you friends, right? (laughs) (laughs) But I, you know, what I, what I really did was I started giving myself guidelines. So, um, you know, I had a few people I knew that really liked to go out and eat at expensive restaurants, right? And it wasn't food I particularly enjoyed. And so whenever they would offer to, let's say, go out, um, I would just say no. But if they went out for coffee, I would say yes. So or if they said, let's go shopping, I would say no. But if they had a you know, potluck party at their house, I would say yes. So it starts saying yes to certain situations. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. say no to the person outright. And then then that um, with certain relationships, it just started phasing out, um, you know, because they just all they want to do is go shopping. And then I think we realized we really don't have much in common. Let's just kind of and things amicably. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what happened. I would just say yes to situations, no to situations. And then naturally, you know, my circle of friends grew smaller, but the ones that stayed, you know, were still friends, you know, 10 years later. Right. Did you have any discussions with your friends about your change in thought process? Um, no, I think, you know, oddly enough, it just wasn't one of those things that I felt necessary to talk about with them you know in retrospect sounds really weird but I think through my actions and just through me saying no to certain um, activities with them I think they they got the point that I wasn't interested in shopping or you know different things anymore right and how did you get there must have been a point in in this experience where you said to yourself, I'm going to lose some friends, how did you muster the courage to say that you were okay with that because you needed to live authentic to yourself and not maybe relive your 
experiences of your childhood or try to stay close to friends that weren't necessarily serving you anymore? So for me, because um, I've just been a traveler my entire life, as, as a kid, you know, we've always traveled and visited friends and family all over the world. I really saw it as, you know what, if I'm going to, you know, live in another country, I'm not going to see you anyway. So if, if we do end up, you know, not keeping in touch, I'm not going to be completely upset because I'm going to be in a new country or a new city and I will be making friends that way. So that's really what my mindset was that, you know, if I lose a friendship, then another one's going to come along. I think that's brilliant yeah. because <laughs> it's like uh, every, it's like that song. Who is it? Every, every new beginning is some other beginnings end. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of who I'm totally not plagiarizing that. It's not mine, but I think it's, it's, it sounds like that's the, per, the, um, the outlook that you had that if you close yourself to people or experiences who weren't serving you anymore, that would open you up to people and experiences who would serve you more. Right. And I think a lot of times we get hung, we get, we, we cling to the past. We're afraid to, to, to grow or leave the past because the past is familiar and comfortable. Um, and, and the future is, can be oftentimes scary and unfamiliar. And we don't want to get into the scary and unfamiliar because that might be dangerous. Right. Yeah. And if you think about the idea of, of letting people go, right, it's not a selfish thing. I think it benefits the other person just as much as it benefits you. So, you know, going back to my example of, of the friend that shopped a lot, you know, maybe, you know, she wants to hang out with other like-minded people. And if I'm not, you know, expressing the same values as she is, then she's just, you know, she's wasting her time on, on me as much as I'm wasting my time on her to be very blunt about it, mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, I don't wish them ill will. They just have different values and belief systems than me. And that's fine. You know, it doesn't mean that, you know, we hate each other, don't like each other. It just means that she can go off and find, you know, her tribe and I can go off and find my tribe. And it's, that's all it is. Exactly. Yeah. It takes a lot of self-confidence to be able to do that. Right. And I think that it is an issue or a concern in our community, in the queer community, that we oftentimes feel the need to cling to people uh, in our community because we've come from backgrounds where oftentimes we've been shunned by classmates, parents, family members, uh, workmates. So we feel like we have to cling to a certain group of people. We have to stay friends with our, our closest gay friends. We have to, to, to be with them. But if the relationship, like you said, if the relationship isn't serving you or serving them for a, some sort of benefit, then you have to move on to the relationships that are serving you for the benefit. Yeah, and you, you'll find that you will spend less naturally as a result. So let's say you are with a frenemy or people that aren't serving you, hmm. you know, and, and you feel like, okay, I have to hang out with them. You know, let's say, for example, you go watch a movie. So that's, you know, less conversation time, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, that's spending money there. Or, you know, you go out to a, a club or drink or whatever, right? You know, there's, there's lots of people that do that. So you end up spending money, spending time with them, even though you don't really want to, right? So you're, you know, quote unquote spending time, but you're not because you're drunk or you're watching a movie, <laughs> for example. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> she knows us. <laughs> I think it's, it, I think what you just said there is great because I think oftentimes 
it's, it's easy to say, well, I've spent X amount of dollars doing this activity or spending time with this particular friend and that's what it's cost me. But it's also cost you more than that. How much energy have you invested in time and a relationship that's not serving you that you can't then put that energy towards something else that can actually be, be bigger and better for you? Exactly. So let's say your desire is to travel, right? But if you're spending money going out all, all the time, then that money could have gone towards something that you really loved, right? Mm-hmm. And and what can happen, people may or may not realize it, is you're going to start to resent your money as a result, right? You don't, you, then you don't feel like you have control over it. You know, for example, like paying bills, you're like, oh my gosh, I have to pay, you know, $100 this month on electricity, right? You're going to start to really resent the fact that you're paying money towards different things, and you're going to feel like you're powerless over your money. And that's not the case at all. You you have chosen to spend money in a different you know way that's not true to you. Um, and, and again, it comes back to that whole owning your responsibility for your life. And you know, owning responsibility for the way you spend money is is just as important, if not mm-hmm. more. Yeah, I think people will oftentimes complain about how much the electric bill is, but they won't even know what they spend when wine or dining out. Well, it's kind of my my bitch please series, right? You know, i i have I have a couple of memes that I put out there. You know, you can't afford to spend, you can't afford to buy your boy or girl flowers, but you can drop seven dollars on a latte, bitch please. And you know, that's that's the thing that the important things in our lives are oftentimes made more evident when we start to get authentic, when we start to ask those why questions. We be, they, they become more apparent and we realize how we can redirect our energy and our money and our purpose towards them. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I like to brag about when I was living overseas was I at one point my husband and I actually stayed in five-star hotels on the weekend. We would literally be like, Oh my gosh, we're stressed. Let's go to the five star hotel. <laughs> or, you know, go to the Shangri La. And and people would get really bothered by that. They'd be like, "How can you afford staying in these five star hotels every weekend and you know dining out?" And and I'm I'm gonna be honest. I'm like, yeah, I spend a lot of money on that, but I also don't spend money on other things, and that makes up for it, right? So we we you know we don't really budget or anything like that, but we you know look at our money very carefully and say. What do we want to spend on and what is not important to us? And we don't spend the things that aren't important to us. Well, that, that goes back to the whole discussion from earlier. It's knowing what your why is. Right. Be, clear, mm-hmm. be clear with what you want so that you can get what you want. You don't get distracted by what society or your family or friends tell you that you should want. Right. It's, it's like I, I said this to John earlier this week. I said, in, if you can't afford to enjoy the big things in life, enjoy the small things. But don't mm-hmm. enjoy too many of the small things or you will never be able to infor- afford to enjoy the big things. And unfortunately, I think that that's what happens. It's kind of what you were describing there is that more often than not, people spend money every single day trying to get some enjoyment out of life on things that provide a very small amount of j- enjoyment and then at the end of the month, at the end of the year, they don't have the money to be able to do the things that would provide them with the experiences or even buying the things that would give them a little bit larger enjoyment in life. Exactly, exactly. You know, one of my guilty pleasures is getting chai lattes, you know. Um, and, and it truly, I'm like, I, I sit there and I 
it's almost a meditative act for me. It's very strange. <laughs> I know but what I you're going it. through. <laughs> a good cup but of coffee it, you know, can just consume me. <laughs> exactly. There you go. And for me, you know, the four or five dollars I spend it is well worth the money, mm-hmm. right? But if I go at coffee gives me headache, I'm not gonna spend money on a cup of coffee just because everybody around me does it, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's really, you know, it's really just figuring out again, what it is that you want. I mean, again, much, much simpler than, or sorry, much easier than it sounds. But if you just really take the time to ask yourself, what do I want? Why do I want this? You know, over and over again, um, you're really going to start making spending decisions that are in tune with your values and in tune with what you want. So I think what I'm I'm getting from this call, if I were were to summarize it, is... um, and I think there are parallels between the Asian and the queer community, and correct me, Sarah, if I'm wrong, but it, there's often this need to try to live up, live our lives to meet up to others' expectations, and we're afraid to live authentic lives. But if, if we don't live authentic lives, then not only do we not live quality lives for ourselves, but we also don't give to the community or the world what we were meant to give we're stealing from ourselves and everyone else because we're trying to live up meet up to or live up to everybody else's expectations exactly no that's that's so true (laughs) and and to me that that's the power of figuring out what your why is and getting your life in line with that and even though it's scary and there's the opportunity that you might lose people maybe even family in some cases as david has experienced you can, if you open yourselves up to the possibilities, things might be actually a lot better than you ever could have imagined. Yeah, I mean, I you know, not to sound all woo-woo and stuff, but, you know, the universe is is there to help you and to help you live your best life. And so, you know, it, it's a sad thing to lose friends and family members, but who knows, you then can find somebody who is just as you know, caring and loving as your parents or, or as your relatives or whoever, you, you just, you never know. Right. Well, and I don't think we should necessarily look at it as, as a, as a sad thing. Mm-hmm. It's an experience that you had with that particular person or those people and they provided some value to you, whether it was a thicker skin <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, actual authentic, you know, down to earth experiences um, but it, you know, at some point it, it might be time to move on. And I think we should, we should look at, see the value in those experiences for what they are, no matter how hard or, or, or good they were and, and be prepared to move on because the future has a whole lot more to offer you. And like you said, the universe was designed to serve you. The universe doesn't make mistakes. And if that's the case, you're here for a reason and you're here to do something. And if you don't live authentically, you won't live that something. And we all lose. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, just, just going with that, you know, um, you know, when I was growing up, it, it was, there was a lot of, you know, I'm going to be honest, you know, a lot of anger towards my dad for, for certain things. And it took a lot of work to just forgive a lot of the situations. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, he don't, made decisions thinking that that would make me happy. Right. And he was wrong, but he, you know, it was something that he thought that would make me happy and he loves me. And mm-hmm. I know that, um, you know, we still disagree. <laughs> <laughs> on things. But, you know, um, 
but I can honestly say that, you know, he has done what he thought's best for me. I've done what's thought best for me. And, and he's proud of me whether or not he says it. <laughs> so, um, you know, and, and with, with my ex, it was, you know, if it wasn't for that situation and being in debt, I don't think I would become the person I am today. You know, I wouldn't have really enforced those boundaries. I probably would be spending the way I was, you know, 10 years ago and, and be unhappy. So, you know, you're right. Like everything that happens to you either forces you to keep going the same way you are and be miserable or whatever, or say, Hey, I'm going to be really clear on what is I want. I'm going to use the money in a way that's going to reflect what I want and, you know, live another life. Yeah. I think that's great and powerful. And I think that's definitely something that our, our community can, you know, live another life. A lot of us have had to do that. So I think that, that can really resonate with the queer community. So thank you for coming on our show. This has been very engaging and enjoyable i think yeah yeah where can um where all can our audience find you uh on social media and all of the internet <laughs> <laughs> so they can definitely find me on the hundred podcasts that i will be on <laughs> whatever they are <laughs> do you have a um, list of that on your website by any chance yes i will have that on my website so if you head awesome. over to highfivingdollars.com yeah, you'll de I'll definitely leave all the links to the podcast that I will be there. Um, I also answer a lot of reader questions via videos. So if you want to ask me any more questions, definitely hop over there and send me an email. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah Lee Kane. Nice. Awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you for joining us. We'll put all that information on our show notes and um, so our readers can find us. And um, hopefully uh, this will resonate with someone because I think it was a great conversation. Yeah, definitely. I think there's lots of people that can find themselves in this story. So thank you very much, Sarah. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you. Isn't it refreshing to hear the story of someone making the right decisions that allow them to live their best life? Thank you again to Sarah for sharing her story. Although Sarah is not queer, we hope her story resonated with you like it did us. Cheers to living a more authentic life. If there's anything that we can do to help you do that, please don't hesitate to contact us at DebtFreeGuys.com. Okay, we just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. <laughs> <laughs> it would help me if I had a personal chef made all my healthy meals for me. Right. So instead, I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> the other end, I like the butts, so. <laughs> yeah. uh.